Hello, and welcome to the Blue Earth Podcast. I'm John Sherburn, the producer and engineer for the show. And before we get into it, I'd like to tell you how to get a hold of us. The Blue Earth Podcast is brought to you by Future Frogmen, a not-for-profit organization focused on developing ocean ambassadors and future leaders. You can find us on social media at Future Frogmen and at futurefrogmen.org. Our host is Future Frogman President Richard Hyman. Thank you, and remember, anyone can be an ocean ambassador. Let's get into it. Joining us today is Diana Cohen, the co-founder and CEO of the nonprofit The Plastic Pollution Coalition. Diana is also a visual artist. Her art features plastic bags as the primary material. She has spoken at the United Nations and numerous international conferences, including the MIT Water Summit, where I met Diana last year. Diana studied biology, art, and film at the University of California, Los Angeles, a.k.a. UCLA, and holds a BA in Fine Arts. Diana, thank you for joining us today. It is so great to see you again. Saw you up in Cambridge, Mass. at MIT last fall, where uh, you were great on a panel as well as a a keynote speaker, and I, I really enjoyed listening to you, and uh, I'm so excited to have a chance to have a conversation with you today. So thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me, Richard. And you are right now in Los Angeles, right? I am. I'm in Los Angeles, California on a June gloomy day. Ah. On Juneteenth. Juneteenth, right. The June gloom. You are from LA, is that correct? I am. I was born here in Southern California and grew up swimming at the beach, the local beaches, um, and started surfing when I was about 30. So a little uh, late to get started surfing, but I consider myself an uh, eternally aspiring longboarder. Oh, good. Yeah. Better late than never, right? That's right. And 30 is still pretty young, so that's uh, <laughs> that's good. <laughs> um, yeah, well, you, you've... Uh, had a very interesting life and uh, done several amazing things. Uh, I'm curious, you started uh, and you still continue as a uh, visual artist. Yes. What what brought you to that? Yeah. So uh, when I, well, growing up, I always considered myself an artist and I was, I was the kid in class that you went to if somebody, you needed help drawing a poster. Um, But I, you know, my parents really cultivated uh, and supported my art making and artwork. And my father has a master's degree and a bachelor's degree in fine art uh, from UCLA. Both of my parents went to school there and I too went to school at UCLA. And when I started, I originally applied as a biology major. Um, In my teenage years, uh, my mother was diagnosed with breast cancer. And she passed away the summer I was 17. And uh, it, it didn't mean anything to me at the time, but the type of breast cancer that she had was estrogen receptive. Um, and I'll mention that again a little bit later, but basically the chemicals that we use to make plastic uh, are, have been identified as being endocrine disruptors and they function like synthetic estrogen. So they, uh, affect our bodies and affect our health. And it's, it's interesting to have feel like my life came around full circle. But um, when I began college, I wanted to do preventative cancer research. And so I began as a biology major, <clears throat> but found very that I was very frustrated after my first year 
realizing that I would need a PhD in order to be creative. Um, I tried for the next year to dual take dual classes in science and, you know, take my chemistry and my physics classes and, and biology, and then also run up to the Northern part of campus to do art, but people wouldn't let me into classes. And at some point, I think I felt that I was copping out a little bit. I decided I was just going to go for it and become an art major. Um, cut to many years later, after making artwork, uh, I began, well, I was a painter, but I began making artwork out of plastic bags that I started cutting together, cutting up and sewing back together paper bags and then adding plastic and plastic bags. Um, <clears throat> it brought me full circle back to looking at the plastic issue and what was happening in the ocean here on the beaches here in the environment around me and beginning to understand that we had a problem with the way that we were producing so much plastic and using so much plastic. And then as I began to learn about the health impact of that, it really brought me full circle to back to um, understanding that these groups of chemicals, bisphenols and phthalates, uh, have been linked to a lot of human health issues, including uh, particularly BPA and bisphenols, which have been studied a lot, uh, being linked to breast cancer, brain cancer, and prostate cancer, among other things. So really brought me, my somehow my artwork and my interest in science brought me back full circle to uh, an issue that, you know, obviously is really important and near and dear to my heart, which is, how do we reduce our exposure to these toxic chemicals, particularly in plastics, when we use those plastics to package almost all of our food and beverages and beauty products? I'm glad you touched on that, and, and I'd like to go a little deeper even, um, but uh, I'm glad you shared the story about your mom, because that touched me at MIT when you, when you talked about that. And uh, it, it's it's interesting how you have gone full circle and uh, how the interconnectedness of uh, the science, uh, the art, and and your your personal story as well. It's it's quite interesting. As you're talking about it, it, it strikes me that the general public is probably unaware of the dangers of the chemicals in the plastic and the combination that there are these things called plasticizers and colorizers and so forth. Can, can you tell us more about that? Sure. I mean, and let me preface it by saying I'm not a scientist. <laughs> so what I've come to learn is that these chemicals that we use to make plastic, well, actually, let's back up for a second. Just for those who might not be aware, I mean, plastic, the base material for plastic, the you know carbon source that we use is primarily comes from fossil fuels and byproducts of processing oil and petroleum, natural gas, fracking, et cetera. Um, so this is where the base material comes from. And then we add these chemicals to it, which are the plasticizers. They give it the qualities where we can identify something and say, oh, this is definitely made out of plastic. It's not metal, it's not glass, it's plastic. And those would be bisphenols and phthalates. Then of course there are other chemicals that are added as well, like flame retardants, et cetera. But, um, these are the base chemicals that are used to make, to plasticize something. Even if we're using a bioplastic, which would be a, a carbon source that comes from something that we've grown versus oil. So just to make that really clear, 
But what we now know about these chemicals, these classes of chemicals, these groups, bisphenols, BPA, and phthalates, but not just BPA, when something says it's BPA-free, they may be using BPB or BPS or BPZ. And I've had several meetings with the head of the endocrine disruption department at the Center for Disease Control in Atlanta, Dr. Califat, and she has explained to me that these replacements for BPA are equally bad, if not worse, to BPA, and they are also endocrine disruptors. So they've been identified as endocrine disruptors, meaning they, they disrupt our endocrine system in our body. Uh, so they function in a way like synthetic estrogen. So when I said that my mom's breast cancer was estrogen receptive, there's the connection. And what's come out of studies so far is that these chemicals and phthalates, phthalates have actually also been named obesogens by uh, research that's coming out of the University of Irvine uh, because they make our bodies hold fat, hold more fat. Um, but these chemicals have been linked to diabetes and obesity, to lower sexual function, sterility, and infertility. And I don't know if you guys saw the piece that came out last year, Sperm Count Zero, but there's a big report and a new book coming out this fall about the decline in sperm viability and the relationship to chemicals and chemical toxins. Um, it, these, these chemicals have also been linked to breast cancer, brain cancer, and prostate cancer. Uh, these chemicals with exposure to rats, we've seen liver lesions, uh, and also um, seen that these chemicals, and specifically BPA, can enlarge or engorge organs in the rats. So, I mean, for me, like any one of these things <laughs> would be cause for alarm, but the fact that there's a whole slew of them is really something to pay attention to. And then from studies that have been done, again, many of which primarily around bisphenol A, um, with babies in utero, these chemicals have been linked to shortened anogenital distance, smaller penis size, feminization of boys, so boys getting breasts, um, early menses in girls, girls getting their period younger and younger and younger, uh, attention deficit disorder, autism, and lower IQ. Wow. <laughs> yeah, and like you said, any one of those would be frightening enough. And, uh, well, I mean, you know, so, so, so there's that from the health perspective for humans and for animals and mammals. Then there's also studies that are showing that exposure to these chemicals uh, with amphibians and other animals, but particularly with that, there are different animals that it, it actually can, can change sexuality of the animals or change their preference or animals in the ocean are more attracted to eat plastic because of something about the way that it smells in the sea than the food that they're supposed to be eating or these lace and albatross and pelagic seabirds, I guess that's redundant, pelagic birds, um, are attracted to these items because of the colors, because they're orange or red or the color of krill or something that animals would normally collect and feed to their babies. And they're feeding it to their babies, regurgitating it, and the babies are dying in situ you know, with their stomachs full, but no nutritional value because their stomachs are full of plastic and plastic pollution, plastic garbage. 
So, I mean, for me, it's something I often mention, those images of the birds, uh, particularly the images of the birds from Midway Atoll that Susan Middleton has taken and uh, Chris Jordan, those are really a metaphor for what we're doing to ourselves. We are stuffing ourselves full of plastic and the chemicals from plastic, and most people are unaware that, that we're doing this. And plastic comes to us under the guise of convenience and mass marketing and beautiful colors and advertising. But oftentimes that packaging is huge compared to a product that's being delivered to someone. Um, and so I think we find ourselves like at this moment in time in 2020 in a very interesting uh, position. Um, and if you don't mind me also just talking about this in light of everything that's happening with COVID and COVID response, but also what's happening with social justice, uh, plastic and our dependence on and use of single use plastics is really something that disproportionately impacts fence line and frontline communities, communities of color, indigenous communities across the United States and around the world. And it does so from extraction through manufacturing, production, our use of the product and what access we have to the packaging and the products that we buy, depending on where we live and the neighborhoods where we can go to the market. So what we have access to. And then it's instantly, you know, a waste management issue. When it becomes a waste management issue, again, it oftentimes it's burnt, it's dumped in the landscapes, it's dumped in waterways, in rivers, it ends up in the ocean. Um, and when we burn it, we create particulate pollution, we release dioxins and chemicals. And again, fence line and frontline communities that are living next door to processing plants for this stuff are severely impacted by it, but we're all, we are impacting everybody. We're impacting the quality of water that we have access to, to drink for everyone, our air, uh, the quality of our food. You know, it looks like most of the marine chain is ingesting plastic. And we now have a report that humans are ingesting a credit card worth of plastic a week. You know, this is real and we need to wake up and open our eyes and make some really strong decisions if we're able to. And if we're in a position where we're providing products or manufacturing things or delivering them to people, take a good hard look at the way we're doing that and the materials that we're using to do it. So, I mean, I'm excited because when you can see the problem, it gives you the opportunity to change and to correct it. Uh, so I'm excited. I think that we're in a great moment for, um, hindsight, foresight, uh, and, and the immediate moment, which calls for pretty strong decisions and actions and, uh, adding new lenses to everything and how we look at things and how they impact people. And, um, you know, I continue to learn about, learn more and more every day, but to, to become aware that we have areas that we consider sacrifice zones. And these zones may be on reservations. They may be in, again, fence line and frontline communities where um, people are living right on the, right across the fence, right across the road from a petrochemical processing facility in the Gulf, on the Gulf Coast, 
you know, in Louisiana, in the Ohio River Valley, in central Pennsylvania, uh, in California. California is involved in a lot of extractive industries around oil. And what does that do to the communities that are located there? And what does it do to all of us? And, and really, you know, this idea of burning fossil fuels, it's, I mean, I'm looking forward to the extinction of plastic pollution and plastic. So as we work to also move away from our dependence on fossil fuels and continuing to burn, burn them, because ultimately that's what happens to everything, even as a waste management uh, tactic or strategy, um, you know, it gets burnt at some point and we're polluting ourselves. So. Yeah, you've, you've covered so many great topics that all require uh, in-depth discussion. Um, but talking about that, the, the burning, for example, uh, another thing I think uh, the general population is not aware of is, is when it comes to recycling, that 90% plus in the U.S. and possibly uh, more than that in certain countries around the world is... It, the intention might have been to recycle it, but it, it is not truly recycled. It is incinerated, it is dumped, and so forth, which, which is a, a shocking. You know, We think we're doing the right thing, but it's really not happening. I think you've commented the infrastructure doesn't necessarily exist for, that's one, one reason. Well, that's one of the reasons, but I mean, you know, in 2018, when China, the China sword came down and they said, we're not taking your plastic anymore, that took the already abysmal, pathetic, you know, hi, we recycle 9% of our plastic in the United States. That took that to even a lower number. And um, we work with a chemical engineer and she had done projections of what that would mean. And her projection was that by the end of 2018, based on the China sword, that recycling of plastic would drop to 4.4% in the United States. And by the end of 2019 to 2.6%. So, I mean, you know, it's quite interesting because there's, there's a piece of federal legislation that was introduced by Udall and Lowenthal, which is called the Break Free from Plastic Pollution Act. And it would require plastic producers to take responsibility for collecting and recycling materials. Right now, they don't. And I mean, I think that the companies that choose those materials to package their products in also seem to have somehow been, if you look at their track records, uh, they've been against bottle bills and uh, take back schemes or refill, you know, schemes and, and fought them tooth and nail, which is oxymoronic to me that they would do that. Really the truth is that they've somehow externalized everything so that the public takes on the responsibility and the cost and the damage uh, and, and they don't. And that frankly, just, it needs to change. So um, that would come from extended producer responsibility, but then that, that policy and legislation needs to be uh, overseen and you know ma mandated and upheld and there need to be fines for companies that don't do that. And what I'm waiting to see is I'm waiting to see which companies are the smartest, which ones are gonna step up and really 
become leaders in this. As quite interesting as you so produced a report where they graded from A to F uh, all these different um, you know, corporations. And that's quite interesting to look at. And I might call it up so I can just refer to it while we're talking, but it's quite interesting, the results. And nobody got an A. You know, I think one company got a B or a B minus. It may, it may have been Unilever, uh, but everybody else was in the C to F category. Well, uh, one key word used there, responsibility. It, it makes me think of the young man with the film that you were associate producer of. I, I watched that, and uh, that's quite a good film. Could you uh, maybe talk about, uh, maybe segue into that a little bit? And, and, and there were some really great messages in what they're doing in, in those communities. It's called The Story of Plastic. So um, there's, a, there's a feature documentary which was distributed by, um, it's being distributed now by Discovery Channel. And you can watch it on demand, I think from Discovery Go. And it's called The Story of Plastic. And I think it's excellent. It really gives a more comprehensive overview of the plastic, of the plastic industry and plastic pollution issue. And it also features very viable current um, alternatives and infrastructure systems that are in place from zero waste city models out of Manila um, to uh, refill systems and refill infrastructure. And it's just like I said, I mean, it's such an exciting time. If you're coming at this as um, a designer, an inventor, an engineer, a scientist, it's a very exciting moment in time to help create the world that we want to see, which would be a world that was non-toxic. And what does it really look like if we do provide infrastructure to support refillables, buying things bulk, you know, refilling your own uh, reusable bags and containers with things, reusing glass, what does that really look like? Do you do it at a local level? Is it sterilized? Is it refilled again? And um, these are not unusual models. Like there's the Milkman model, there's Loop. Um, you know, when I was a kid growing up, our milkman delivered, or we called it a milkman. I don't know if it was a milkman or a milkwoman, but you know, our milk person delivered milk to us in these glass bottles and quart and gallon, gallon glass bottles that had an indentation for your hand to grab them. They had a little paper foil top, no plastic top on them. And, uh, you know, maybe that was just a different world. I don't know, but I've heard of programs like this that are popping up again are cropping up again. And I know that um, my sister and her family have milk delivery in Washington, DC, where they live. So there's a lot of interesting stuff like that. And even with COVID, you're seeing a lot of people join CSA programs to have like a cardboard box of fresh fruit and vegetables delivered. Um, if they live in a community where they can access that, I, I don't um, I don't use a CSA program. I try to plant things outside the door where I live in the dirt and talk to my plants and then go to the farmer's markets in Los Angeles and really support my local farmers because I want them, their farms to survive and, uh, and they grow beautiful food. Beautiful. I mean, there's one farm 
that I go to Finley farms and they grow like 20 different kinds of lettuce and every single one looks different and tastes different. It's just so magical when you realize, no, there isn't only one kind of potato. There isn't only one kind of lettuce in the world or two there's thousands. So, um, you know, diversity is a beautiful thing. We need to cult- cultivate diversity in everything. I've been to some of those uh, farmers markets in LA and south of LA, and uh, really, uh, yeah, I I agree. The the beauty and the diversity is is very cool. Um, you know, I was talking about the milkman. I we had a milkman as well growing up, and uh, interesting what popped into my mind because we had the glass bottles, but along the way, this was early on, but we had uh, four kids in the family, and we eventually started getting this plastic container, a large container with a spigot on it and we called it the cow actually but we drank so much milk but it was like an early transition to plastic which was not a good thing do you remember which year that was that was probably uh late 60s early 70s mm-hmm. yeah. yeah um the maybe this is the same title that you were just referring to the, the film i was thinking of uh was the story of stuff project yes So the film's called The Story of Plastic, and it was created by The Story of Stuff and a director named Deus Sloshberg. And um, it, yeah, uh, they made a distribution deal with Discovery, and Discovery has shown it now. I think their last big push to show it on television was for um, World Ocean Day, so June 8th. And um, that was in India and uh, a whole bunch of territories. I think it's been shown in 142 different countries. That number is somehow resonating in my mind. I could be wrong. It could be less. It could be more. I think it might be more. Um, But it's also available on demand from Discovery Go. Or you can go to the Story of Plastic online and set up uh, a community screening of it or even a virtual community screening of it. And the film's excellent. So I think it really um, highlights what's happening in different parts of the world from the United States through to Southeast Asia. Um, and, but it also highlights really positive alternatives and solutions. So very well yeah. done. Yeah. I thought it was great. And, and uh, it also highlighted to me how, a small group of people uh, could could make a difference uh, as they worked on uh, collecting uh, recyclable products and responsibly reusing them and uh, and handling the residual waste and so forth. So uh, that that brings me to uh, another question, um, a big topic. You are action oriented, solution oriented, and an activist as uh, as we try to be here at Future Frogmen as well. And uh, our friend Bill McKibben, I uh, heard Bill recently in New Canaan, Connecticut, and uh, he, he was emphasizing the big steps that need to be taken with the petrochemical companies and fossil fuel as far as uh, universities and towns and cities divesting their pension funds to make a huge impact. Um, and I think it is a great idea a great a great cause uh, but i think 
the general population also wants to know what they can do as individuals. Right. Uh, and, and that it does make a difference. It's not a wasted effort. And I wonder if you could just, we've, we've touched upon it, if maybe you could comment a little bit more about what individuals can do. Sure. Well, I mean, I had already mentioned the Break Free from Plastic Pollution Act. So one great thing that an individual can do is contact their representatives and let them know that they're hoping that they will support this or they'd like them to support this, this bill because you know it's going to do everything from require plastic producers to take responsibility for collecting and recycling materials. It's going to require nationwide container refunds. It's going to ban certain polluting products. It's going to add a carryout bag fee for plastic and support that. It's going to uh, um, require new minimum recycled content and it will also protect existing state policies that already exist. And additionally, it will put a moratorium on new plastic facilities. And I think those are all really, really important things that we can support. And uh, like I said, it's through Senator Udall's office and Representative Lowenthal, but you could let your representatives know that you'd like them to support the Break Free from Plastic Pollution Act. Um, we also are involved in and helping support Earth Island Institute, who is our fiscal sponsor. They have a lawsuit uh, that they launched um, against 10 major companies uh, for polluting our waterways, coasts, and oceans with millions of tons of plastic packaging. So it was filed in the California State Superior Court. And um, so you could follow that if that's something that you're interested in. Um, additionally, just as an individual, I think that no deed is too small that you can do. And if you are a person who's on the go a lot, let, let me grab this and show you. Um, invest in or find something in the cabinet that you feel comfortable bringing around with you. This is a steel cup that I carry, but I also have uh, an insulated one as well. And particularly prior to COVID, when I was traveling much more for work, I just always carry a reusable cup with me uh, because I found that coffee beans, Starbucks, you know, Pete's, all these different coffee companies and small ones, if you are on the go, they will give a small discount. I think um, Starbucks gives like 10 cents off if you come in with your own cup. Um, coffee bean gives 20 cents off. I know that they may have dismantled this program temporarily during the COVID outbreak, but you know, if your cup is clean, it's not going to be, <laughs> it's not a problem. And the same way we wash our hands, we can wash our cups. And uh, so I encourage people to, and particularly people who are students or people who go to work and have a routine every day where they have a coffee or a tea break to invest in or bring something from home so that you have a reusable that you use. I also encourage people to carry, I carry a small set of utensils. You could just bring some from home and wrap them in a cloth napkin you have in your briefcase, your bag, or your backpack. I have a bamboo set that I love made by To Go Wear. It's also got chopsticks in it. So chopstick, fork, knife, spoon. I always have that with me. Um, I have a small handkerchief napkin that I carry. I mean, that's just kind of my basic to go kit. Oh, and I slide a reusable straw in there. I have a steel one. I have glass ones. 
Um, I, I like having a straw once in a while with my iced tea, but I don't want it to be ever be a plastic straw. Um, and I've, you know, paper ones I think are an okay interim, but I'm, I'm more keen to use reusables versus single use items of any kind. So those are simple things that we can do as individuals. Um, I also always bring bags with me when I go to the market. Again, I think that some of this was put on hold temporarily during COVID, but now I found that the markets that I go to, the health food market and even Trader Joe's, I'm bringing my own stuff and I just pack it myself off the counter um, into my own bag. So I encourage people to get those bags and canvas bags and little fold out bags that are tucked in drawers and hanging on the back of closets and things like that. Get them out where you can see them, tuck them back in your car, put them on your bike, in your bike basket, put them on the back of the door so that you remember when you're walking out to bring them with you. And these are little things, but little things can have a ripple effect. They can lead you to conversations with people. Uh, oftentimes, and I'm really enjoying looking at the background behind you, Richard, of you know this beautiful sea mound or whatever that is and corals and anemones, you know, do it for whatever reason it's important to you. If you're doing it because you want to save a turtle, do it for that reason. If you're doing it because you love that we live on a water planet, a blue planet, and you love to spend time in the water and underwater, and you're sick of seeing plastic garbage entangled on everything and impacting the, all of the sea life, the wildlife in the sea, or because you're a person who likes to eat things from the sea and you don't want those to be full of plastics and microplastics, um, then, you know, whatever your reason is, or if you're a person who is deeply concerned about health or health of family members, you know, one of the best things you can do, particularly if somebody's ill, is to reduce the amount of plastic that they're being exposed to and the chemicals from plastic. So if you are compromised in some way or you're contending with an illness or diabetes or uh, obesity, it would be great to do whatever you can in your power to eat more, obviously fresh fruit and vegetables, unpackaged things if you have to buy um, foods that have been preserved in some way. If, if you have access to something in glass, I encourage you to go for glass or unpackaged. And I mean, you know, the list goes on. I can talk about this for like a week straight. So I think that there are a lot of things we can do. And any one of those things, even with little kids in my family and friends, watching little kids say, no straw, please. Uh, you know, skip the straw, skip the plastic straw, save a sea turtle. Empower our children to make smart choices because they are the, the few, they're the leaders of tomorrow and they're inheriting this world and we've filled it up with a lot of junk. Yeah, great, great uh, messages. I, I like the, the large message getting to the, the politicians and the legislation, but also down to the individual efforts. And sometimes people might be discouraged or even dissuaded thinking their individual actions don't matter, but collectively, individually they matter and then collectively they matter even more. So uh, I, I like well, all those suggestions. Yeah, and Richard, they also matter from an investment perspective and looking at the companies where we that we bank with, and and if we're in, you know, a privileged position to be able to invest in companies or on the board of companies or own businesses, to take a good hard look 
at you know, what those companies are investing in and what the plastic footprint looks like of that company and understand that this is all connected. You know, you can't just be working on reducing your carbon footprint, but think that plastic is good to use because you're lightweighting everything. I mean, you have to look at all of these externalities and they are that we're impacting our health and the health of every living thing on the planet and all of our systems that we depend on and we need to be healthy for us to thrive and for everything on the planet to live and thrive. Yeah, Diana. So we haven't talked specifically about uh, PPC. I wanted to give you an opportunity to, oh, thank to, you. to, to, to talk about <laughs> that. And, and uh, if you could include in that, I noticed one of the things that you do have on the website is your healthy pregnancy guide. Sure. You've, you've touched upon health, but uh, maybe you could tell us more about the coalition as well as uh, uh, the Healthy Pregnancy Guide and any other tools that might be there. Sure. So Plastic Pollution Coalition is a global coalition. We're now made up of over 1,200 organizations and businesses from around the world from 77 different countries. We're made up of over 40,000 uh, individual members, um, and we work to educate, advocate, and connect. So uh, one of the things that we do, well, one of the many things we do is we provide guides and toolkits. We have a global plastic reduction legislative toolkit that you can sign up and use on our site. And our newest tool that we just created in partnership with one of our coalition members, Made Safe, Made Safe Certified, is a new healthy pregnancy guide. And it is available for free. It's basically a go-to resource on how to protect your family from toxic chemicals like those in plastic and other common items. And you can download a copy of the report for free and it is available on our website, which is www.plasticpollutioncoalition.org forward slash healthy pregnancy guide. Great. I, I, uh, I, I feel like we have uh, some nice complimentary overlap with our organizations. Uh, I've, I've, Sometimes I'm questioned about education, and uh, uh, we are certainly action-oriented and solution-oriented and advocacy-geared, uh, but uh, educating people, building awareness is a worthy cause, and without, without that, uh, people don't get energized. They don't take action. So uh, I appreciate your mission. It's uh, wonderful work that you do. And you've certainly experienced tremendous growth over the last 11 years. Yeah. Well, Richard, I would say too, that, you know, when you're, when you are a water person, when you're a water man or a water woman, and you spend time in the water, which the ocean is where I think we all came from. Um, <laughs> you know, when you spend time there and you are the first to really see and observe what's going on. And so often with our Plastic Free Island project in Greece, we've worked with divers, kayakers, uh, you know, all of the people who are involved in any kind of uh, water sport. Um, they are the first to really see what's happening. So when we first created Plastic Pollution Coalition, the people who aligned with us right away from the get-go were surfers and people in the water. And we have worked with divers to clean up a couple bays uh, on the island of Kefalonia. It's in the Ionian Sea in Greece. Uh, we've also done it in Majorca. 
And um, it's amazing what you see. You can go to a place that is a marine protected area where when you're down and diving, it's exquisite, but up on the surface, there's a swath of plastic garbage floating by. So uh, it's, I think it's so important for us for, I'm going to align myself with you guys as a, I'm also a diver, but just, you know, when you have that perspective and you feel aligned with protecting the ocean. And when I say that, I feel it in my heart, you know, there's nothing that you wouldn't do to make sure that you're doing whatever is in your power to help, uh, help it be healthy again. And I feel like we've, we've done so much to the ocean and we've taken it for granted in so many ways and we've barely explored it. So uh, plastic and plastic pollution are incompatible in a sense with the ocean. And I understand that a lot of the materials we use as divers are made from neoprene and plastics and things like that, but that stuff and flip-flops and things don't belong left in the ocean. They may be tools that we use, but we're supposed to bring them there and then take them away. <laughs> right. right. Yeah. And, and by the way, we actually, uh, most people involved with uh, Future Frogmen are not actually divers. It's just, uh, it was named by one of our interns. Uh, I had written a book called Frogmen about my time with Jacques Cousteau and uh, this young lady suggested it and we ran with it and we've debated changing it. But uh, uh, overall, people seem to like it, particularly the young people. And uh, so we're not—we're primarily not divers, and we're primarily not men either. We're uh, of our volunteers and in interns, we're uh, about ninety percent female. So, uh, girl not power. surprising. Yeah. Not surprising. Yeah, not surprising. Yep. So maybe your future frog humans. Yeah, we've we talked about that, uh, but. Uh, you're right, Diana, that uh, those of us that have had the opportunity to really witness some gorgeous locations around the world, as well as some of the problems that have been created from pollution, particularly plastic pollution, uh, it really resonates. And hopefully we can, through our messaging, we're also reaching people on inland states that might not have the opportunity to see the ocean, but their streams, their rivers, their, their plastic waste does eventually get to the ocean one way or another. So we try to uh, communicate that message as well. Well, Diana, it, it's been so great to uh, spend some time with you today. I, I really appreciate you taking time uh, with us and uh, continued success and uh, great uh, hard work that you're doing. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. Nice to see you. Nice to see you, Diana. Take okay. care. Take care. Bye, Richard. Bye-bye. We hope you liked today's Blue Earth podcast. Thanks for listening. Wherever you're hearing us, please rate and review the show and check out our website for upcoming and previous podcasts and more. We're now releasing the show on a weekly basis. So until next time, remember, anyone can be an ocean ambassador. Have a nice one.